Good morning again. My name is John, if we've not met before. And uh, welcome. It's great to see you. And I'm just going to tell you about the, the series that we started recently. And it's a series about courage. Okay, courage is what we're looking at. And my guess is, with this series, we are all facing something right now that we could do with courage for, or we need courage for. Imagine there's anything, if you think about it. It'd be different for all of us, um, but there'll be courage needed somewhere. It could be at work with something going on there. It could be something you're facing relationally. It could be an area of personal growth, like it's time to get this thing sorted it's going to need courage. Uh, it could be that you're stepping into something brand new that requires courage. Maybe stopping something that requires courage. There's multiple situations, if you have a think about it, that demand courage. And where courage is needed, I think there's always a temptation to shrink back, to not go for it, to put it off. And we need courage. We, we need courage because we're living in times that are complex and challenging. We feel as a church like Jesus is inviting us into more courage, personally and corporately, together as a community. And, and so last week, we looked at Joshua. Joshua is this guy in the Bible who has the most courageous mindset. And we learned from him. That was, that was fun. And today, we're looking at Moses. And what I love about Moses, if you've not come across him before, is he hasn't got it all together. Like Joshua has. Joshua was like right in there. Moses, kind of not so much. And uh, he's convinced that someone else will be better for the job, that there's always someone else who's more qualified. And I think most of us can relate to that in some way or another. And so I think it'll be helpful. So Moses, we're, I'm taking this all back about 3,000 500 years plus ago, uh, ancient culture, and um, Moses is this shepherd, okay? He's in the desert. He's looking after um, flocks in the desert. He's 80 years old. He's 80. He's pretty old. He, he'd spent the first 40 years in wealth in Egypt. Um, even though his own people, the Israelites, were in slavery, he was in wealth. And the age of 40, he has this moment of sheer anger he kills an uh, Egyptian slave master, and he has to escape. He kind of goes on the run, and that's why he's wandering on the desert, has been for 40 years. So he's 80. And suddenly, God speaks to him in this really profound way. And if you read about it, it is profound. It's like a burning bush. And uh, suddenly, the last 80 years kind of crash into the moment. And this is a big moment for Moses. And so we're going to pick it up. It's in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. If you've got a Bible, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And we're going to join the conversation, really, between God and Moses. So from verse 7, this is chapter 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we start. And this is brilliant news. This is God on the move. Things are going to change. He is going to free the people they've been in slavery for 400 years, just this oppression in Egypt. 
And I'm pretty sure that Moses is thinking, that's brilliant. Like, I hope that goes well, God. Like, thank you for letting me know. You maybe didn't need to, but that's fantastic. It's wonderful. This is going to be great and not totally sure what it's got to do with me. But God carries on. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So suddenly, from not like maybe thinking about God that much for the last 40 years, he encounters God in this moment. God sends him out. And what we're going to see is five objections. He has five objections um, that he raises with God as to why he should pick someone else, why Moses isn't fit for the task. And uh, each time we see five responses from God back to Moses. And so we're just going to run through those. And I think that each of those can be like a well of courage to us. Like if we learn in the same way that he learns, there is courage available. And again, for whatever it might be, it might be in the workplace, it might be relationally at home, it might be in our city, it might be in our church, wherever we need courage. So the first objection is this, and and, uh, Moses is going to say, who am I? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Just kind of... You know, I think we've all been there in moments like this, me, me regularly. Um, and for Moses, it seems like a pretty logical response. Like, you have the wrong person. I've been a shepherd for 40 years. Uh, I've been hiding. I've not done much in that time. Um, I murdered someone 40 years ago. And so if I go back to Egypt, I'm in trouble. Like, they're, I'm probably, like, still wanted there. And my own people don't respect me. If you're going to pick someone, pick someone else. As you read through, Moses will just like list these past failures, his past disappointments. He's already tried to free people and it went wrong. That's why he's in the desert. He's lost everything. And I guess I just wonder if you've ever had that response from time to time. Like, who am I? And maybe it's not directly to God, but it could be anything in life. Someone comes up to you and says, you should go for that promotion at work or you should press ahead with this thing for the city. You should do that for your family. You should do that for yourself. And we can have this response. Like, Who am I? No one's going to want me on their team or in their small group. Don't you remember when I got it wrong last time? I'm nobody. Here's God's response. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I've, uh, this will be the sign to you that it is as, sorry, I who have sent you, getting my teeth in a twist, tongue twist, teeth, anyway. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He says, I will be with you. And in other words, it doesn't totally matter who you are who Moses is, who we are. What matters is whether or not God is with us. That's what he's saying in his response. It matters who I am. It matters that I am with you. And and that means all my resources come with me to you. Like there's help, there's supernatural help, there's practical help. He gives authority. He gives us his presence and all the resources needed. Now, I think it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy when God is with you. Um, Actually, it's probably pretty hard because 
we need God with us. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of power to God's power for us to go shopping or to um, go to Tesco. I picked on Tesco's last time. Um, it probably doesn't, but we can do that on our own. But there are things. I mean, delivering people from slavery for 400 years, that needs God's help. Um, to get through a kind of struggle or breakthrough in an addiction that's been going on forever in us, that needs God's help. To start something, a dream that we've had, to see it become a reality, that takes God's help. Like Moses, we could look at the task, we could look at the problems, or we could look at God, who he is. Looking at what we might be afraid of instead of looking at the one who can overcome. Example for me, I remember the first time that I spoke at church, I did a preach at church, and uh, it was in Nottingham, and uh, I had hair back then, I had lo lots of hair, and I was a lot younger, I didn't need glasses, and uh, anyway, you don't need to know about that, but I, I remember, I'm walking into the building, and I see this old lady walking quite slowly as well, so I, I kind of joined her and got talking to her, and she says, I'm so excited to hear the sermon today. I just love our pastor. He's so good. And, and I said, oh, yeah, he is good. Like, he's definitely one of the best. And, um, and I said, he's not preaching today. And she said, and I remember these words. She said, well, young man, who is preaching today? And uh, I paused for a moment. And uh, I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I am. And she stopped. And now this is honestly how I recall it went. She turned away, walked away slowly, got in a car, drove off. <laughs> that is what happened. My first preach. Now, I already felt insecure. I already felt like I wasn't, I mean, I hope she had a great day. Um, I already felt insecure, not good enough. Like, am I going to make a difference anyway? I'm slightly dyslexic. Um, my maths teaching career lasted four months. So it, it wasn't a good day. And if I'm honest, every time I speak in church, I have internal battles going on. Like, who am I? What, what if I mess it up? What do I have to offer? Pretty much every time. But when we know who we are in God, that God is with us, it breeds courage. It makes things possible. Another interesting point in God's response here, which I mumbled at the time, he said that God would give Moses a sign. And that sign would be that they'll leave Egypt and they're going to worship on a mountain. They're going to have a big party. And we all want a sign, especially if we're stepping out, we want a sign. But look at this, the sign comes after it's going to come after Moses has led them out. I mean, that's not much help, God. Like, surely you need the sign before. But I've been thinking about this over the week, and I've come to think that, that generally confirmation or signs come after we step out a little bit. In other words, we need a bit of courage to get started first. And there's been times in my life, and maybe you're in this place at the moment, that you're asking God to confirm something. God, would you give me a sign? Like, and you're asking if it's, you know, if it's written on the wall at three o'clock in the morning and an angel, that would help as well. You know, then I'll do it. And we can be in a passive posture for ages. But I've come to realize that, that confirmation comes as we move. 
that we need to exercise some faith and courage as we are in his presence and as we go with him, as we start in the way God is asking us to go. And that's been our story with coming here and the confirmations that God gave us about coming to Chester. So if you're praying for confirmation, how could you step out? So do you feel insecure? Who am I? I just think it's the normal part of the journey. And I occasionally get to hang out with people doing incredible things for God that are having a, like a global impact, national impact. And I'm always surprised when I chat to them. They never feel qualified. And if they stop and think about it, they're like, I've no idea how that happened. I'm just doing my thing. And God keeps opening the doors. In summary, we matter to God. And what matters is that God is with us. I believe he's with you. He's with us. And he's inviting us to get moving that little bit. And it brings courage. Second, second objection. The first one was, who am I? The second one is, who are you? So Moses says to God, he really doesn't want to do this thing. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who are you, God? It's pretty easy to lose sight in God. By Monday morning, as the week's going on, we can forget. There's not much in culture that points us towards Jesus. We can easily forget. Forget him. We forget his purpose for humanity. We get in a muddle. Who am I? Who are you? So what's God's response? Well, God uh, tells Moses his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, there's a lot I could say about this, these couple of verses. And um, it'd probably be interesting to about three of us. Uh, because when God tells Moses his name, it's actually really hard to translate. The Hebrew actually is aye, ashehe, aye, probably. Um, and it means, it means that I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. And we kind of shortened it to Yahweh, which is easier to say. But the reason I say probably is because around 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Jews stopped using that name. They felt it was too sacred to say it out loud. And they substituted it for the Lord. And that's why in your Bible, you might have the Lord in capital letters. It was for this word that no one really knows how to say anymore. Unless you speak Hebrew, then I'm sure you do. Um, Anyway, ancient cultures, this is the interesting bit. Ancient cultures, um, names mean something. So anytime you see a name in the Bible, especially when it's translated and it explains what it means, we should take note. The name here signifies that God is self-existent, that he is independent of anyone or anything else for his being. It also means that he is unchanging, that he is not in the process of becoming something else or something new. It means he's an eternal being, that he always has been and always will be. 
All that and more is wrapped up in this name. It's the glory. It's the majesty. It's the bigness of God. And the truth is, the bigger that God is to us, the smaller our worries or our fears about the task become. How big is your God? And again, if you don't get anything else from this today, try and catch that the courage, this courage we need, it comes from intimacy with God. It comes from deep friendship. See, Moses is going to need God's timing. He's going to need God's power. And he needs to learn God's name. And all of those things require intimacy. And this is the beginning of Moses' journey to become God's friend. And, you know, we are invited to be friends with God. We're invited to invest our life in a life of intimacy and encounter with adventure. Um, God's got activity and purpose and calling for us, but it all comes out of intimacy. One, I think, of the most precious verses to us as a church, and we've talked about it a lot, be found in John 15. And Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's just intimacy language. Jesus talking to his disciples and to us about the pattern of how things are meant to work. That we're to abide, remain, dwell in him, in his presence. Him and us and us and him and out of that place, we bear much fruit. It's always been um, the pattern. So again, where do you need courage? What are the things in life at the moment, the decisions, the actions that you're thinking of taking? Where do you need courage? Because we get it from the presence of the risen Jesus in friendship with him and following him. That's a place um, to be without fear. Objection number three. So we've had, who am I? Who are you? And uh, Moses' third objection is, what if they don't believe me? He's already chatting to this burning bush that's God, and he's got a third objection. It's, what if they don't believe me? And what's just happens is this big conversation between God and Moses, and, and God says, go and speak to the, to the leaders in Israel and, and just confirm that I'm God and that there is a plan ahead. This is Moses' response. He answers, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say that the Lord didn't appear to you. What do I do then? Moses got all this amazing stuff to do, but he's still paralyzed by fear. God's even told him that the leaders are going to accept him and they're going to understand him, but he still doesn't believe it. He's got this fear of not being respected, this fear of being um, not believed or not received well, and I think we all know that that's pretty powerful, the, the fear of people, the fear of people-pleasing. I know I've been there. I'm sure many of you have as well. And what's interesting with Moses at this point, he's not terribly concerned about the evil Pharaoh. He's more frightened about his own people and the hard time that they might give him. In following Jesus, we often make decisions that others don't understand. Maybe about how to spend your time or your money. Or we find ourselves sticking our heads above the parapet a bit. And we need courage. 
some courage to maybe look strange at times to our friends or family. We, we had baptisms last Sunday evening. It was just beautiful. And for some people, it was the first time they'd said in front of their friends and family that I'm following Jesus and I'm willing to be submerged underwater and brought up because I believe he's God. What an amazing thing to do in front of people. What a kind of culturally crazy thing. It took courage. So what is um, God's response to Moses on this one? And if I'm honest, it gets uh, a tiny bit weird, um, but follow with me for a moment. Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And so Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of this snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of um, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You read on and there's, there's another miracle with his cloak. And there's another one about water from the Nile. And it's like, what is going on here? And it's actually really clever if you want to read it in the context because each of these signs speaks directly to one of the foreign gods that the whole surrounding areas believed in. Actually, really interesting three things to look up. But all I want to say about this is this is God saying, I'll be with you. Don't worry about other people. There's going to be power at the right time. I'm going to give you the right words. And God's always been an expert at taking our ordinary things, whether it's a shepherd's staff or a cloak, and turning it into something wonderful. Again, a, a silly example. Anna and I, we've been asking friends to uh, the Alpha launch party. Anna mentioned it before. And if I'm honest, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. And I can never quite understand why, because we love Alpha and we love our friends and we really want them to come to know Jesus. Yet we build it up in our heads and we imagine what the conversations are going to be like. And we think that they're going to kind of like, I don't know, fall out of friendship because we invite them to an event, whatever it might be. Yet when we actually do it, we always find that God provides the right moment, the right conversation, the right words to say, and it kind of builds us all up. So I wonder if that would be your point today. And God wants to speak to some of us today in this area of people pleasing. Have we grown so afraid of other people's opinions, it stopped us stepping forward? Would that be true of you? Objection number four. Moses says, well, am I enough? Am I enough? Can I do this? And you'd think he would have got it sorted by now, especially after those three crazy miracles before. And, um, but let's carry on. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant. Lord, I've, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor uh, since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Basically, look at me. Like, I can't do it. I'm not enough. And again, I think we do this all the time. I do this all the time. We probably point out ways that we're not enough to our friends or our family or to God. We don't have enough of this. We haven't got the skills. We haven't got the time. And there's often a bit of truth in there, like we're human and we're in process. We're not perfect. We need God's help. This is the reply. The Lord said to him, 
Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Again, intimacy language. I want to teach you. I want to be with you. I want to help you. And Jesus says a really similar thing in in Matthew 11 to his followers. He says this, and he says this to us as well. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in hearts, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus wants to teach us on the journeys that we're on. Like even the tasks and the assignments, they are vehicles to intimacy. Whatever the job, uh, whether it's a business thing that we need courage for, whether it's raising a family, whether it's leading something in church, whether it's going to a small group, whether it's blessing our city, again, it's in doing this stuff that there's intimacy and there's courage and there's training and resources for the job as we step out. Is there anywhere that you feel at the moment you're not enough? Fifth objection, and um, gets a tiny bit brutal at this point, and we've gone through four of them already, and God's kind of answered each time with miracles and all kinds of signs and wonders. The final objection is simply this. Could you send someone else? Could someone else do it? And uh, this is exactly what Moses says in, in verse 13. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And I know we can laugh about it, and God's given him all these lists of things, and he says, I'm going to do it anyway. It's in the bag. I'm with you. It's going to be great. Could you send someone else? And again, I think we can be familiar with this one. We might have a sense of something that God wants to do or wants to do in us and through us, but we maybe don't want to. It could be a range of reasons. It could be like apathy, it could be like a false humility, it could be a stubbornness, I just don't want to do that thing. Like maybe Moses just really didn't want to go back to Egypt. Maybe he just loved where he was, and maybe we can relate to that. Maybe we don't want to start something. I don't want things to change. I wonder if that's true of us at the moment. And I can be a bit like this. I was trying to think of examples, and I, I came up with several. One of them would be our church's next building. So we've known for a while that we need to move and that God has a better space for us. But we've looked at like 28 different places, and nothing seems to work out, and it's going to probably cost a substantial amount of money, and there'll be a whole kind of process of that, which is really tiring. And apart from the lack of space and apart from the crazy setup that takes ages, it's, it's all right here. You know, sometimes I really like Bridge House and, and I like it that we can meet here. God's reaction to this, us not wanting to change or go for it, is, uh, is interesting. It, it sounds initially quite harsh, I'll warn you. It says, the Lord's anger burnt against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll help you both, both of you to speak, and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he, 
were your mouth and as if you were, were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so that you can perform signs uh, with it. Okay. A few things about that. I mean, that's a bad spot, isn't it? Like God's getting really annoyed. Now, remember, he's talking to Moses through a burning bush, and it's the same wording that's used there. So it's almost like this bush just gets, I don't know, burns a bit more and gets a bit more, a bit stronger in the burning. Um, but God provides a backup plan. Even after all the complaints, even after all the, I'm not going to do it, he provides this backup plan. And it's his brother Aaron and God's really kind. Um, there's still deep affection for Moses in this conversation. And two thoughts out of it. One is this. When we do this kind of dance with God, like, who am I and who are you and am I enough? Can I really do that? And we could go on and on for ages. You know, there's an easy way or there's a hard way. And generally, we just prolong the process. That's what happens. Or if we really just won't do it, God will find someone else who will. And I know that's happened to me on a number of occasions. And, and the overwhelming thing I feel is like, oh, do you know what? I know it's fine. And I know like I'm still part of God's family and I'm still rescued. And I just feel like I've missed out sometimes. And someone else got to have the fun of journeying with God and I missed out. Secondly here, something just really important about courage. Courage is found in community. I love how God talks about Aaron, that he's on his way to you. And Aaron, in some way, is God giving the task to someone else, like I mentioned. But in other ways, Aaron is a gift to Moses. He's this source of community. And as you go through the story, you see they borrow courage from each other. Time and time again, they're kind of each other's encouragement, and they borrow um, the ability to go further. So I just wanted to ask out of that point, who's on your team? Who's going to help you and, and give you courage? And, and then whose team are you on? Who will you give um, encouragement to and courage and, and help for the task ahead? Do you feel that way? I can't do it. Who am I? Who's God? What have I got to offer? I wonder if you feel like that this morning. And just as a way of ending, I've just got a set of questions that I've been pondering this week. And I just thought I'd read them out and um, put them up here as well. Maybe as I'm reading them, just think them through. It's a moment just between you and God, just to, for him to highlight something that, that might, this might relate to. So what is God inviting you into? At the moment, what's he inviting you into? Where do you need courage? Secondly, what objections do you have? Which one of those five or other ones do you have at the moment? Thirdly, where might we need to take the first step? We're just not starting. We're procrastinating. What would building intimacy and friendship with God look like for you? If courage comes out of intimacy, how's that going to look for you? Then what if we gathered community around us? What if we got vulnerable with people and said, 
this is what I think God's asked me to do. I'm fearful. Would you pray with me? Would you walk with me? And this is the last question. Maybe just for some of you to think about and ask of others. Would you be one of my people? Would you hold my arms up? Would you hold me accountable? Would you encourage me? 